You're listening to episode 35 of the Journey to Launch podcast, the power of frugality and simple living to reach financial independence. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Journey to Launch podcast. I'm Jamila, your host. Today's episode is going to be a good one. I know I say that every time, but it is. It is really going to be a good one. I'm really excited to talk to today's guest, Elizabeth Willard Thames, also known as Mrs. Frugal Woods from the very popular blog, frugalwoods.com. And her story, I think, is just pretty fascinating because she went from a normal everyday spender who did not really have intentions of financial independence when she first started in the workforce to quickly realizing that working and belaboring in a job with her husband in the city life, so she was in Boston, was not for her. She quickly realized she needed to find a way out and she found that way through financial independence and reached it through extreme frugality. So she and her husband were saving 70% of their income at certain points to be able to reach financial independence. They have now moved from the city of Boston to a homestead in Vermont with their children. And I think you're gonna find her story pretty just fascinating and inspiring because again, whether you are on the frugal path or not. So, you know, there are different ways to reach financial independence. There's income, there's expenses, and what you do with the rest, what you do with that difference is how you reach financial independence. So some people choose to try to make more money, which is always good. I recommend that anyway. So always try to increase your income. And then the other way to do it, and another way to complement increasing your income is to save as much money, to cut back on expenses. And you can do that by being very frugal. So it depends on how frugal you want to get, because the more frugal you are, the more money you save, the quicker you'll be able to hit your financial independence goals. And so for some people like Liz, extreme frugality works for her and she does not feel deprived and she enjoys life. And you're going to hear that she is enjoying her life fully. And then for other people, maybe you're not on this frugality road. Like So for me, I don't consider myself necessarily a super frugal person. I am very conscious of how I spend my money now and for the past couple of years. And we've definitely made some changes to our finances to be able to save as much as we did, which I'll talk about a bit later. But hearing stories like this just gives you ideas of what people are doing. And it also just sets that barometer of, wow, there are people out there saving 70, 80% of their income, still loving and enjoying life. What bits can you take from that to apply to your own life so you can reach your goals? And I read Liz's book that just came out actually. So Meet the Frugal Woods, Achieving Financial Independence Through Simple Living, which we'll talk about more. It's out now. I'll encourage you to get it and I'll tell you where you can get it at the end. But I think you're really gonna enjoy this story. So you can go to the episode show notes at journeytolaunch.com slash episode 35 to get any of the things we talk about in this episode. And then just quickly, as I talked about me not being necessarily frugal, 
And you'll hear Liz talk about this too. And you'll hear anyone who has reached financial independence or who is on the journey or who has improved their finances, that the one thing everyone has in common is that they're intentional with their money. They have a budget. A budget changed the game for us. Before my husband and I had a budget, we were just spending without intention. And we had no idea where our money was going. And so if you're familiar with my story, which I'm assuming you are, you know that we saved a lot of money over the past two years. When I calculated it all up, it came out to $169,000 that my husband and I were able to save and invest over the course of two years. And before that, we were not doing a fraction of that. Now, about half of that was in our pre-tax retirement account. We did not see it in our take-home pay because it just came out and went to our 401k, our 403b, and our 457 plans. But the remaining half of that 169 literally was money we just had to budget from our take-home pay over the two years. And we did that through a powerful system called YNAB, also known as YNAB, You Need a Budget. It totally changed the game for us. I talk about YNAB all the time. To anyone who will listen, I recommend it to my friends and I have a special treat for you. So usually if you go try YNAB, they only give you one month for free. They have agreed to give my listeners, you journeyers, two months, a two month free trial to try the YNAB system out. And I strongly recommend that you try it out. And what I love most about this trial is that you don't need to sign up with a credit card. I love trials that don't need credit cards up front (laughs) because I always assume like I'm going to put my credit card up front, then forget to cancel and then get charged, right? With this, you can't lose in this situation. You're trying the system out for two months. Take the time to learn it. Take the time to understand it. So one, if you don't have a budget, this is a great place to start. If you do have a budget but are not confident in the system or it's just not working for you, maybe... You're doing it on paper or Excel or in a Google Sheets document. An app like this really can be helpful. So why not try it? So if you do want to try it, go to journeytolaunch.com slash YNAB. So that's journeytolaunch.com slash YNAB to start your two-month free trial. Now let's hop into this amazing conversation with Liz And I'll have some more just reflection at the end of the episode. So stick around for that. Now let's get started. Hey, everyone. I'm super, super, super excited for my guest who is about to come on and introduce herself. Hey, Liz, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. I mean, this is, I think, going to be a really special treat for my audience because you have reached financial independence. And it's something that a lot of us, I'm inspiring to do, a lot of people that listen want to do. And so I think this is going to be an amazing, inspirational story for a lot of people. I hope so. (laughs) So please introduce yourself and your blog and what you're all about in case people don't know who Liz is. Sure. So most people know me as Mrs. Frugal Woods, and I write the blog frugalwoods.com. And my husband and I retired at 32 to a homestead in rural Vermont. We live on 66 acres of mostly wooded land, and we have one young daughter and a second on the way very shortly, and one very old greyhound. 
And prior to this, we lived in cities. So we lived in New York City, Washington, D.C., Cambridge, Massachusetts. And we had what I would describe as a very conventional life. We worked traditional nine to five jobs. We owned a home in Cambridge. And we were really just kind of floating through life without any major destination beyond the weekend and what we would be doing on our next vacation. We lacked the long-term goal to really see what we wanted to do with our lives. And in 2014, we had the realization that we were not happy and what we were doing was not fulfilling us. And so we decided to pursue financial independence and then also the goal of moving out into the woods. And I'm so happy to say that we were able to do both of those things. We moved out here in May 2016 and our really just enjoying living a life that is a slower pace, that's simpler, and that is not focused on consumerism or this constant drive for more. Mm. And I mean, that's why I think your story is so powerful, because like many of us who are still working are still in the grind and finally waking up, and some people listening probably are just starting, right? They're just realizing that I'm floating through life. What am I doing? Like, how can I live a better life? And so I really want to go back in time a bit to start from the beginning. And I should mention that we're going to talk a lot about your book, which is amazing, by the way, Meet the Frugal Woods, Achieving Financial Independence Through Simple Living. I mean, it tells your story. So I wanted to go back and talk a little bit about the beginning and how you first really started and what really prompted this revelation of change for you. So one thing I loved about your story, which I did not know when I met you, just a little sidebar, everyone, I met Liz for the first time at FinCon and she was super nice and I knew your blog and I knew your overall story, but from reading your book, I did not know you at once lived in Brooklyn. True. So true. (laughs) And which is, you know, I live in Brooklyn. So anytime I hear anything about Brooklyn, I'm like, yay. So can you talk a little bit about that experience? Because was one of the first times that one, you got a full-time job and you actually like had to live. You didn't have much and you saw the discrepancies between like where you worked and where you lived. So can you talk about a little bit about that? Sure. So after college, I got a job with AmeriCorps working in Manhattan and I lived in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. And this was in 2006. And At the time, AmeriCorps paid $10,000 for the year. That was your stipend for your job. So I had $10,000. And then you also received food stamps as part of your AmeriCorps benefits and a Metro card. So I had food stamps, a Metro card, and $10,000. And I had to figure out how to live within that $10,000 for the year. So paying my rent and taking care of all the other living expenses that come along with being in New York City. And it was an eye-opening experience for me, both for my frugality, because I really, really had to be very frugal. I ended up saving $2,000 of the $10,000 total because I was so nervous about going into debt that I, so I kind of overdid it and ended up actually saving money. And the other revelation for me was understanding my privilege in a very new and very visceral way. I'd always known that I was fortunate, but until I lived in a neighborhood where a lot of people were living in sort of entrenched and generational poverty, I didn't understand how fortunate I was and I didn't understand sort of the magnitude of my privilege. 
And so from that experience, I think I was able to develop a lot of gratitude for all of the things that I'm blessed to have. And it made me recognize that throughout my entire life, I've really had so many advantages that many people do not have. And I had a deeper understanding of what it means for people who do not have access to a bank account, which is a major problem for many people and who do not have access to financial literacy and who do not have access even to a grocery store that has fresh food that's within a close distance to their home. And so this really gave me just a lot of perspective about what it means, what money means for people and the ways in which I am tremendously fortunate. And I think anytime we talk about financial independence, you know, it is a very privileged conversation because we're talking about saving money at rates that are sort of unfathomable for people who are working minimum wage jobs. And I do like that you make that distinction, especially in the book that you said you were privileged. You and your husband are both white, heterosexual, like obviously where you were born and the family you were born into and the resources that they had obviously set you up for a better start on the journey. And so I do like that you do have that distinction because it's something that, like you said, the conversation happens a lot in the FI community. I'm a part of the FI community. And when I first started Journey to Launch and what I wanted to do is bring this concept of FI to more people, to a more diverse group. And for a lot of people, they didn't even really first didn't even know that that was possible. You could save as much money, you know, 50%, 60, 80% of your income, And I have a lot of people who want to do that, but just their income and their expenses, it's almost impossible. And so I think it's something to that's important to talk about, to be honest about with people that for some people, it's harder and almost not attainable unless you really, really make some big changes. Absolutely. And I love the work that you're doing because I think it is really important to bring this message more broadly, but also to recognize the limitations and I think of financial independence in a pretty simplified formula that it's all about your income, your expenses, and then time. So the amount of time that it's going to take you to save enough so that your assets are covering your expenses. And obviously, the more you make, the more you can save and the faster you can do it. And so I am always hesitant to lead people to think that frugality is the only answer because, you know, that's just one element of this equation. You've got to have money coming in in order to save it. And I think recognizing that people have very different incomes and very different career paths and skills and abilities is an important thing to realize. But like you're saying, there's a continuum and there is progress, I think, that you can make sort of at any level and recognizing whether it's a question of saving more or maybe diversifying your income streams or augmenting your income in some way or looking at a longer time horizon. Mm, Right. So true. Okay. So now let's move a little bit forward because you move from Brooklyn and you get married. And so now you're living with your husband. Can you just describe what your life was living just like what I say, sleepwalking, sleepwalking through life, just spending Mm -hmm. what that was like and what your epiphany moment was when you said, you know what, there's more to this. Sure. So my husband and I feel really fortunate because we are both very frugal. And so we got married really young. We were 24, which now sounds so young. And I think we had like $8,000 between us, but we didn't have any debt which I think is a really crucial element of our journey. We both went to a state school, University of Kansas, 
which had pretty inexpensive tuition at the time. And we both worked jobs, had scholarships. And then the privilege coming in again, our parents were able to help us pay for the tuition that we didn't cover through our jobs. And so we came out of undergrad with no debt. And then we didn't take on any consumer debt. And so when we first got married, we lived in a basement apartment in Cambridge, which was (laughs) very underground. And, you know, people said, why don't you move somewhere nicer? You can afford to. And I said, no, 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 we're saving money because we had a goal at that point of buying a home in Cambridge. And you will understand this living in Brooklyn. Cambridge is just an almost impossible real estate market. And it's one of the most expensive in the world. But, you know, at 24, we're like, yeah, we can do this. And so by living in that basement, we were able to save quite a bit of our not very large salaries at the time. And as our salaries increased, we didn't increase our lifestyle all that much at that point. We did, but we, that, we came to that later. And so we were doing a pretty good job of saving with that goal of buying a house. And once we bought our house, I would say that that was kind of the danger point for us. That's really when our spending kind of went off the cliff because after we were able to buy a home in Cambridge in 2012, we were kind of like, well, you did it. <laughs> like what's next? This is great. <laughs> we did not make a plan for our money and that is a bad thing. And so we really just started to slowly ramp up our lifestyle, which at the time we didn't even recognize because we were buying our furniture on Craigslist and buying our clothes at thrift stores. And yet we were going out to dinner for these like a very expensive dinner, several nights a week, getting takeout, lattes, you know, just kind of classic lifestyle inflation. And what I realized in retrospect is that we were spending more and more in an effort to make ourselves feel better about our jobs and about the trajectory we were on because we had jobs that we sort of thought were our dream jobs. And yet, We were coming home feeling exhausted, burnt out. And so spending is a really easy way to kind of mitigate those feelings. And so it wasn't until 2014, you know, this went on for a couple years that we sat down and said, when are we happiest? And I think that's a great question for anybody to ask themselves, when are you happiest? And for us, the answer was when we're hiking in the woods, we would go hiking almost every weekend. And that realization was pretty powerful because we realized, why are we living in the middle of a city if when we're happiest is in the woods? This doesn't make any sense. And so we realized that we really needed to radically transform our lives. We needed to change where we lived. We needed to change the way we thought about money. And we really needed to change the way that we thought about success. Because I think it's easy to get caught up in this treadmill of hoping for the next promotion and the next raise and the next external validation of your worth as a person. And I think it's very easy through a career to get that. Yeah. And I like what you said is that you were doing so many things right, right? Like you were Craigslist shopping, you were for the most part frugal. So then you probably, on the other hand, said to yourself, well, then I deserve a nice dinner and I deserve to do this. So it's almost counterproductive to your saving efforts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's just kind of like not recognizing how much you're spending. And this is why it's so important to track your expenses, because it's very easy just to not even realize how much money is just flowing right out the door. 
Mm -hmm. So once you and your husband said to yourself, wow, okay, you know, we are most happiest in the woods. We are not enjoying our jobs. What did you do next? What was the first step in trying to make your financial independence dreams come true? Walk us through that. So we made this decision pretty quickly, although I will say it was the culmination of a couple years of having this conversation on and off. We'd often said, oh, it'd be so great if we lived in the woods. So that this had been a recurring theme, but it had never been a serious topic until this day. It was March 2014. I remember it very clearly. And it was a very decisive conversation. And so we, at that point, decided not to go out to dinner that night and sat down and really went through our numbers and tried to figure out how much we would need to save, how long it would take us, where we might move to, and really launched our plan at that moment. Because once we made the decision and sort of acknowledged to ourselves that we were not happy where we were, we didn't see any reason in waiting. You can sort of dither and debate and so much time can elapse and you can lose a lot of momentum just by stalling. And so we said, okay, we're going to start now and not look back. And so we started saving truly that day and made radical changes. And we went through a process that I now have on my blog. I have a free Uber Frugal Month challenge that anyone can take. And that chronicles the steps that we took to bring our savings rate up to over 70, sometimes over 80%. So it's got two parts to it, what we did. You know, part of it is the money side of things, which I actually think is the easier side because it's just numbers in a spreadsheet. You know, you just figure out what you need to save and then you do it. But I think the harder part of it is the psychological shift and the radical change in how you perceive money and its role in your life and what a want is, what a need is, and then ultimately what constitutes the good life for you. So it's kind of that two-part exercise that you have to do of changing your mentality and then also just understanding the math of your money. Because mm, the mental part is so important. I mean, you can oh, yeah. you can have this, you can say you want to do something and you can say you want to save, but unless you, like you said, you prioritize and you really understand why it is you want to do what you're doing, the steps won't connect. Oh, yeah. It's pointless, I think, to have like a math plan on paper without the accompanying mindset shift, because it's got to be something that you feel deeply and that you're really passionate about, or you're not going to stick with it. And it's not going to make sense to you. I'm going to link, what'd you say it was called? The Uber Frugal Challenge? It is the Uber Frugal Month Challenge. Okay. I'm going to link that in the show notes, everyone. So you guys can go check that out. But can you maybe just give us some, maybe one or two things that you did to like up your savings rate? Sure. So the first thing is tracking your expenses. You got to know what you're spending. And then for us, it was a question of going through every single line item and asking the question, is this in alignment with our long-term goals? And so I think knowing what your goals are, knowing where you want to be, having an idea of how much you want to save will really help you to get there. And then Another important part is understanding the opportunity cost of all the money you're spending. So if you're spending a recurring amount every month, let's say on cable, you're not just spending that money in that one month. You're also giving up 
all of the potential gains that that money could have if it was invested in the market, for example. So I think understanding sort of the power of leveraging your money rather than spending it. So it's not just, oh, that I'm getting this haircut once a year. No, it's you're compounding that number over and over again. And it's either growing your favor if it's invested or you're depleting that from your assets on a recurring basis. And so having that broader context helped us to eliminate essentially everything that was not a total necessity. And I'm a big fan of cutting out everything at the beginning, seeing how that feels, and then sort of adding back in things that you really feel you need in order to achieve a good quality of life. I am all about luxurious frugality. Like this is not about, you know, (laughs) saving every single penny because it just doesn't make sense. You've got to live a life that you enjoy. But I am a big fan of really questioning where money is actually making you happy and where each expense actually has a commensurate return on investment or where it's just kind of like mindless spending. And what we found is that so much of our spending was essentially pointless and that we could strip away thousands upon thousands of dollars and still have a really great life. So the frugal concept, which you could talk about some more, is probably a little frightening for some people, right? I mean, I would admit that for me, when I think frugal, it's not necessarily the warmest term. Like I'm just like, oh, you know, because there is a certain life that I have grown accustomed to. Now, I've made big changes to my finances to be able to save as much as we do. But I know if I were to actually do the steps that you just talked about, we would probably be able to save even more. But I think there comes a resistance to, and you talk about this in the book, that instant gratification versus that delayed gratification and why it's so important when prioritizing what it is that you enjoy and then, you know, looking at your spending, it's like, can you delay whatever this instant gratification is? Can you delay it for the long-term gain that you're looking for? Right. Or my favorite thing too is, can you find an analog for it that's cheaper? So, haircuts are a great example. I didn't stop getting my haircut. It's just that my husband now cuts my hair for me, which happens to be free as opposed to the like a $120 I was spending at the salon. And so it's finding opportunities to substitute in that way has been really important for us because it's largely a question either of simplifying and doing without something, you know, giving it up entirely because it doesn't add value or just finding a cheaper option. You know, another great example are cell phone providers. So we use a cell phone reseller and I pay $19 a month for my service, which is quite inexpensive. And there are other services that are even cheaper and I get the same service essentially. So being really strategic and efficient, it's not that you don't get to have a cell phone, it's that you don't need AT&T, you know, you don't need Verizon. So I think it's finding those hacks, finding those ways to just trim down every piece of your spending. And that's why I'm a big fan of going through line item by line item. And then for us, it's all, it was also a question of simplifying our lives. You know, it really was a question of what do we value? How do we want to spend our time? And finding ways to create fulfilling hobbies and fulfilling outlets for ourselves that did not involve shopping and did not involve consuming. And so I think focusing on creating, focusing on doing things ourselves, the whole process sort of made us more creative, grateful people, I think, because we recognized how much we had and we recognized how much we just do not need. 
Mm-hmm. And you said it also increased like just intimacy, right? You, your husband are cutting your hair. Absolutely. You talked about working on projects in the home together instead of outsourcing it. You know, that does bring you closer together as a couple. It really does. And I think it really helps as parents as well, because we are just very accustomed to helping each other out and working as a team and a unit. And that took work for us to get to that place. And it's an ongoing process, but open communication and just recognizing that we're running this household together and the division of labor is very equitable. And what I found is that through frugality, we really created an even more egalitarian partnership where the balance of the work that we do is very equal. And part of that is because we're both home together all day with our child. So it's really obvious what needs to get done and who's doing what. And it made our lives a lot easier because we just have a routine we follow. He cooks, I clean, he manages the outside stuff, I do the laundry. You know, there's just kind of like a very clear outline of the work that we do. And since we do insource a lot of things, we do a lot together. So we spend a lot of time together. We cut each other's hair, but we also run a homestead. And so there's a great deal of labor that goes into that that's very collaborative. And we really enjoy it. You know, and what I like to say is you chose your partner for a reason. So why not spend time together and work together? Because I find it a lot more fulfilling to do projects together than to spend money together, if that makes sense, or just to watch TV together or anything that's sort of passive. I think doing that active work together, it's neat because you see your partner in a new light and you respect them in a new way and you learn new skills. And it also, one of the things about insourcing is that you are reducing your dependency on money for the long term. So I will probably never, ever pay for another haircut. So that's what, I don't know, 50 years of not paying for haircuts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a one-time expense. So I really want people to think about that, that once you stop paying for something, it's pretty unlikely you're going to go back and start paying for it again because you realize how great it is to just do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And it saves so much time. Right. And sometimes all it does take is you just to do it. It's almost like ripping the Band-Aid off. It's just like, just see how it feels. Maybe it doesn't hurt as much as you think it will. And yeah. once you do that, it's actually more freeing to have that scab. I'm being very graphic here. <laughs> that scab open. <laughs> you know. It's also true that if you try something and it really doesn't work for you, you can just go back to paying for it. You know, it's Mm. not a long-term life sentence. If it's something that just you're really uncomfortable with that really does not work for you, you won't know that until you try it. It's like we say to our kids, just try it. You don't even know if you like kale. So it's giving yourself the latitude to just experiment and kind of see where it, what is your comfort level on the spectrum of being frugal and of insourcing. Right. Now, okay, so you guys, you know, you're on now this FI path. You've decided that you're going to save. So you're like ramping up your savings to, I think you said sometimes 70, 80%. Now, how long did it take you to accomplish the goal of being able to buy your homestead, quit your jobs and become FI? So the whole process, I think, was under three years. And the caveat that I have with that is that we did not start at zero when we had this goal. And I want to be really clear about that. We had been saving 
for many years and working good jobs for many years. And before we really enacted the extreme frugality plan, we were saving what we estimate to be around 40 to 50% of our income. So, you know, that's a decently high savings rate to begin with. And then ramping it up to the 70, 80 is just what sort of pushed us across the finish line, but we weren't starting at zero. So I don't want it to sound like we got there so quickly starting from nothing. The financial independence specific trajectory was about a three-year time horizon because we looked at those three factors, income expenses and time. And we decided at that moment, we wanted to do this as fast as possible. And so in the first year of saving, we spent $13,000. So basically that's almost a thousand a month. Yeah. A thousand a month. Wow. Now that does not include our mortgage and that does not include 401k contributions, but that is everything else, everything from car insurance to groceries, to doctor visit co-pays to vet bills, everything else other than our mortgage. So that kind of gives you a sense of how much we stripped out. That was a very frugal year. And I would say that our spending has increased from there. But that was kind of our baseline because we wanted to save as much as we possibly could and really go as quickly as we could. So when you have the perspective of a timeline, I think it becomes a lot easier to save at a very high rate because you recognize how quickly you can make those gains. And we, it also became a game for us. How much more can we save? You know, what else can we figure out to cut out of our budget? And we started to see this sort of holistic benefit to frugality where it made us more environmentally conscious. It made us happier. It made us less stressed out. It actually gave us back a lot of time because what we found is that when you're not shopping and you're not concerned about what other people think and you're not chasing that external validation, you have a lot of time on your hands. And it's really nice because we were able to pursue things that we felt passionate about and finally get around to all those projects that we'd been putting off because we thought we didn't have the time. Mm, Right. And I think once you figure this out, once you find FI or once you understand what it is, I almost feel like it's a gift and a curse because it's a gift because now your eyes are awakened and you want to reach this goal of having enough money and assets to cover your expenses. But one thing that I currently feel, and I know it was frustrating for people on the journey listening, is that the time it takes. So even if it takes now that you, okay, I've set the goal, maybe it'll take me two years, maybe it'll take me 10, or maybe it'll take me 20 years, depending on their starting point. Just being able to be patient now, work towards your goal and not become like you said in your book, you know, you're disenchanted and really unhappy with your current situation because you know where you want to be is sometimes it can be hard, right? Oh, yeah. I The middle of this process, the second year was the hardest for us because you get past that elation. You know, you're so excited when you discover it and you're just, oh, it's amazing. And you want to tell everybody and they think you're crazy. So you have to go on these podcasts where people understand you. <laughs> <laughs> And then you sort of hit these doldrums where you say, okay, I get it. I get the math. I'm saving as much as I can. All I can do is wait. You know, the only other variable is time. And that was difficult. And so for us, what was really important was the pursuit of other meaningful activities. And so I really encourage people when you are in that trough of working towards this goal, start thinking about what you want to do when you retire. Because I think it's important to retire to something. 
I don't think that you can only be retiring from. Sure, you want to quit your job. That's great. But I think you need a next step and you need a next plan. And so for us, we filled that void by researching about our homestead and learning about rural life and visiting rural properties and reading as much as we possibly could about homesteading and gardening, because that kind of filled the void. It helps you to pass time. And it also helps you to feel like you are making progress because you're educating yourself. So whatever your next life is, whether that's sailing around the world or becoming a yoga teacher or moving to a homestead, put a lot of time into researching that and also to creating and pursuing hobbies that are meaningful to you. So for me, writing my blog was a big part of that. I always wanted to be a writer, but I'd said for years, oh, I don't have time. I can't do it. I did it while I was working towards this goal. I needed something. I needed an outlet. I needed a way of expressing how I felt And it also let me build up a business that eventually became the job. I hate to call it a job, but the project that I retired to. And I think it's really important to keep that at the forefront of your mind as well, is what you're working towards other than the money. Mm, Right. Can you just talk a little bit now, you know, you're living on your homestead. Can you first explain homestead? Because I'm a true city girl. (laughs) (laughs) And what that means and what your life is like now. (laughs) So, you know, I don't know if homestead is the correct term, but it's the word we use because we really like it. So we live on 66 acres in rural central Vermont. So you can't see anybody else's house from our house. Can't see anybody else's house from our driveway, which is a quarter mile long. Uh, Most of our property is wooded. So we have just a beautiful, mature forest of hardwoods and softwoods. That would be fir trees and non-fir trees for the city people. And I lived in the city for many years. So this is all new to me. I had no, I have read so many books about trees. I can't even tell you. And so we have hiking trails that go through our property. My husband has done extensive work clearing hiking trails. So we have a network of trails that we hike and we snowshoe and take friends on. And then we have a pond on our property with ducks and all kinds of little creatures. And we have a pretty robust gardening situation in the summertime. So we grew quite a few different vegetables that we preserved and canned. We have apple trees, and so we made apple cider this year. We have asparagus, rhubarb, we have blackberries, so quite a bit of fruit and vegetable growing in our yard. And then in the long term, we have a barn as well, and in the long term, my husband wants to build out a woodworking shop. Woodworking is one of his passions and hobbies, so he hopes to build out a woodworking shop in the barn and do woodworking. We don't have any animals because we have babies right now, which I think is enough (laughs) sufficient amount of animals, but someday we might have chickens or something along those lines. I just, I can't with a toddler and a soon to be infant. I'm like, I cannot even think about that. Mm -hmm. So knowing your limitations is really important. You know, we really just love living in nature and we also really love the community out here. We are surrounded by wonderful, amazing neighbors and friends and it's a very loving, caring community that we're in. And there are a lot of young parents, which is great, lots of little kids. And so we have just found our place. Mm, That sounds actually very magical. (laughs) Like I said, I think your story is amazing. I think the fact that you pivoted and 
you decided, you know, you wanted something different and you made it happen. It's just inspirational. So I want to let everyone know where can they find you if they want to know more about you and your story. So I'm pretty consistently Frugal Woods. So frugalwoods.com is the blog. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Frugal Woods. And my book, which comes out March 6th, is Meet the Frugal Woods, Achieving Financial Independence Through Simple Living. And if you order the book before March 13th, you can get a free signed book plate from me, which I have the details on my blog for. All right. And I will link all of that in the show notes so everyone can go pick that up. Okay. Thank you so much, Liz. This was an amazing conversation. All right. Thank you so much. How was that, guys? I really hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Liz. And I really encourage you to pick up her book if you want to learn more about her journey and just how frugality and being more intentional with her money helped her reach financial independence. So Meet the Frugal Woods, Achieving Financial Independence Through Simple Living. You can get that if you go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 35. You can see how to get Liz's book or go to her site, frugalwoods.com for more information. Her book is out now. And just some reflections from the episode. So I always pick out things I love from every conversation I have. But some things that just resonated a lot with me is that money does not make you happy, but it provides the freedom to find out what does make you happy. And so I'll always say that money is not the goal. It's not the end goal. It's not the end result. It's not, it's just a tool. It's a tool that allows us to help us reach our goals. And when you have money, you have options and you're able to have time to figure out what you want to do and you have the leeway to do it in the way you want to do it. And it's when you don't have money that you're not able to do those things and to really, really live a fulfilled life. And what's even more crazy is that it's not about the amount of money you have. You don't need to be a millionaire. You don't need to make six figures to be happy. So if you can imagine yourself finding joys in life that don't cost a lot of money and still be happy with that, that's totally fine. And on the other end of the spectrum, if there are things you value, you want to spend your money on, that's fine too. But just realize that it's all a give and take and you have to weigh what it's going to cost you in the long run to enjoy things you like now. So is it going to pull you off of your track of your goals or is it going to help you? And maybe it pulls you off track. Maybe it takes you a little longer because you do enjoy going out to eat, right? So I enjoy going out to eat. If I cut that out of our budget, we would save thousands of dollars a year probably. But we enjoy it and we budget for it and we make it a priority. And so for us, it's worth it. It's worth that satisfaction because it's not necessarily all about just cutting back to be deprived and unhappy with life, right? You have to weigh, you have to value what it is that really makes you happy. So I do hope that you get some tidbits from Liz and you check out her stuff. And as I mentioned before, if you are looking at your own life, at your own budget, and you're saying to yourself, wow, I wonder what I can do to get more in what I already have. How can I optimize my finances better? I really would encourage you to try budgeting if you have not tried it already and to specifically try the YNAB system. So I have a two-month free trial for my listeners. If you go to journeytolaunch.com slash 
NAB. You can try the YNAB budgeting system that helped my husband and I save $169,000 in two years for free for two months. So why not give it a try? Also, if you want to connect with me some more, you can do that on social media. I am Journey to Launch at Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. So you can like my Facebook page, Journey to Launch, and join my Facebook group. Let's continue the conversation over there. I love getting to know you guys better. And of course, join my email list. You'll never miss a thing. You'll get weekly updates from me every Wednesday morning. Go to journeytolaunch.com slash join. So thank you for tuning in, listening in on this conversation with Liz and myself. And I'll speak to you next week. Bye, journeyers. Journeyers.